if you haven't got a grand a month to spend on ads, you're kind of pissing into the wind. If you're a plumber in Shrewsbury only looking to work in Shrewsbury and you want to spend five, five quid a day on Facebook ads, it'll work. But if you're looking to work on a national scale, get leads into your database and have a, scale, a profitable, scalable and predictable business, you've got to think about how serious you are about that spend. Hi everyone, welcome back to Stay Hungry. Today we're chatting about understanding the value of a client. Today we're listening to Andy fiddle with his microphone. My microphone's wobbly, Joel. It's going to come off in a minute. Oh dear. Oh dear. How are you? Yeah, cool. You alright? Yeah, alright, I think. Excellent, think. excellent. Lifetime value of a customer. How many people know about this, would you reckon? I think everyone's heard of it. Um... The, re- the reason this has come up, so we very often do consultations with prospects or we'll do a workshop or we'll be delivering a workshop for somebody else. And one of the things I'll say is, what's your lifetime value of a customer? What's your lifetime value of a client? And people go a bit cross-eyed. What's a percentage, you reckon? How many people look at you blankly like, what the fuck are you on about? I think, I think it's a bit Ron Seal, so you can kind of figure out what it must mean. But... In terms of actually calculating it, most people go, oh, it's hard in my business, which is pretty much mm-hmm. the default answer mm-hmm. to any question you ask anyone about their business. Um, and so, like, yeah, it is. And, it will, and you know, let's say you um, run a hardware store, knowing the lifetime value of a customer would be really tough because you'd, you'd have to all come through your CRM. You'd have to, like, take an average. That would be difficult. If you're a service-based business, accountant, solicitor marketing agency it's it's quite a bit easier because you know the number of transactions in a year is probably limited and the number of years they remain a client is probably quite long because you know no one likes changing accountant or solicitor it's a ball too painful yeah so it's a really important metric to know because until you know what a client is worth to you how on earth do you know how much you'd be willing to spend to get that client So I'd say that that's a challenge in itself. I'd say a lot of companies are like, here's my marketing budget. It's a number they've pulled out of the the air. Mm -hmm. Marketing manager, you have a grand a month to spend on advertising. Yeah. And there's been no no sums done at all. And where's that number come from? And when that grand's been spent, it's been spent. It doesn't matter if it's returning good. Because if it's, fuck it, if it's returning five times that, oh, fucking hell, spend more then. But a lot of companies don't look at it like that. Yeah. You've got a grand. When you've hit a grand, that's your lot until next month. Yeah, and it's a, it's a challenge that we encounter a lot because people come into a meeting with us and they'll be like, oh, my target turnover for this year is half a million pounds. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you know, that's that's a decent size of, of, of small business. What? How much money did you make last year? Oh, I did 110,000 last year. Bloody Nora, so you're going to... 5x your business this year you know not quite but mm. and uh yeah well how, how, how are you going to do that well i made all the mistakes i was going to make last year so now it's all about selling right okay and obviously that's why i'm here because i want you to help me get in front of more people okay right well the problem with that is all of that idea is just plucked out of thin air the the growth the scalability looking at what's actually realistic is all based on a hunch and businesses don't grow on hunches sometimes you might spike a business on a hunch you might have a good hunch but 
So what I've done, being an absolute geek that you can attest to, is I've, I've created a spreadsheet because, you know, Joel loves a spreadsheet. I actually don't. It's just useful. But where at the top of that spreadsheet, we can bang in someone's target turnover and then break down all the variables involved in then getting down to what your allowable cost per lead is. And one of those variables is what's the lifetime value of a customer. Excellent. So uh, hopefully everyone's clear on what a lifetime value of a customer is. Um, do you need to explain it anymore? Well... How much How much are going to spend with you over their lifetime? So yeah. if, you, if you're shit at what you do, it ain't going to be good. Because obviously you want people coming back to you time and time again. Yeah. So um, if, if you're a hairdresser, people come to you, they have one haircut, they're like, oh, well, it was all right, but they're a bit rude and didn't like your prices, won't come back again. That first haircut is your average lifetime value. Yeah. But if someone spends 100 quid with you for a cut and colour, they come on average five times a year and on average stay with you for two years, that means a new customer on average is worth £1,000 to you. Yeah. What are you willing and able to spend to bring in that £1,000? Yeah. That's what it comes down to. And hairdressers is a good example, like MOT service stations is a good example. These are businesses that traditionally have perhaps relied on word of mouth. So the idea of buying a customer is quite alien to them. And that's where it's really important you explain what the value of a customer is. Now, the pushback we get on that, and I, I can almost hear the listeners thinking this, is, well, it's all well and good saying a customer's worth five grand to me over the next 10 years, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be able to magically mm. pluck two grand out of my ass to buy a five grand customer. It's like, well... That's what cash flow is. That's what cash flow in a business, partly what cash flow in a business is. But there's a reason, for example, Uber made massive losses to start with because it costs far more to acquire those mm-hmm. customers than the customers were worth in the first three, four mm-hmm. years of being a customer. Um, and so all the value is in the customer base, not in the transactions. Now, as a small business, you're thinking, well, I'm not going to float on the stock exchange. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, Joel? Well, the same applies to a hairdresser. If if it's 100 quid a cut, five cuts a year for two years, so they're worth a grand, and but you know it's going to cost you 300 quid to get them through the door in the first place, you've got something to work with. You, you know what you need to cash flow, and you cash flow it based on all of the stuff you did before. So I built up the business on word of mouth, it's kind of plateaued now because I'm not really attracting any more customers. So I need to attract people from further afield, which is going to cost me. How do I calculate that? And that's where these these sums come in. Okay, so um, the allowable. So we know the lifetime value of a client. Mm. What's next is the allowable cost per lead, because obviously not every lead is going to become a sale. Yeah. So that's that's really important, unless you're really good at selling, I suppose. Yeah. But ultimately, how many leads do you need to bring in? To make a sale. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll look at, um, let's say we'll look at how many leads you need to get an inquiry, which isn't the same. So a lead on a website would be a visit to the website. An inquiry would be someone fulfilling in the inquiry form. A lead in your database would be having that person's data. An inquiry would be someone actually asking about making an appointment, for example then you need to also know how many inquiries become a sale. And until you know that, you can't go backwards on what... So let's say, right, a sale to me is worth 100 quid, and I'm willing 
to spend all 100 quid of that to make that sale because I know that I'll get 10 more out of them across mm-hmm. the next two years. Okay. For every two inquiries I get, I make a sale. So it's a 50% inquiry to sale rate. So that means each inquiry has cost me 50 quid. But I need 20 leads to get two inquiries. So 10 leads per inquiry. Mm-hmm. So for £100, I need 20 leads in order for, to make this stack. Yep. So that's £5 a lead. So then your allowable mm-hmm. cost per lead is £5. And then it stacks. Now, the beauty of that is you've broken even on the first transaction in marketing terms because it's 100 quid of marketing to get a 100 quid sale. So then when they come back for their next haircut in a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks' time, that £100 has had no marketing spend associated to it. So some people might be willing to lose money on that first sale. So breaking even, okay, brilliant. Make a profit, okay, we can know even better. But some businesses are, and some industries, oh, have, to, e- have to take a, a financial hit that first time. Most e-commerce businesses will not break even on their ads in the first three months. And that's hard for them to understand because they come to an agency like us and not all agencies are as transparent about it as that. Mm. But it's like you do realise you need to front load this, fill the top of your funnel and get some transactions going through so Google, Meta can optimise and then you will start to make money on the lifetime value of those customers, not on the first transaction of those customers. And they're like, well, so-and-so down the road says they can get me a 10x ROAS. Yeah, they're getting 10x ROAS for customers that they've had for nine months, not customers that they've had mm-hmm. for a month. And if they're saying that they are, they're either working miracles or the product that that customer's selling is something magnificent. Okay. So, I mean, I guess one of the popular questions we get asked is, how much do I need to be spending? Okay, which is sort of what we talked about. Mm. But they, they've got a number in mind. I think there's still, there's still a hangover that meta ads are cheap now they're cost effective but those days of spending one two three four pounds a day are are long gone you you you'll get some measurably a measurable increase in brand awareness for a few quid a day but if you want to earn money turn a profit no matter what industry you're in you ain't going to be doing it for a fiver a day yeah i think so is there let's say not an average let's say a, a a, a, a smallish business, you know, I don't know five to ten employees um, operating across the UK. There has to be a minimum they're prepared to spend to see a measurable move of the needle, right? Yeah. So, and th- this is still too low, really. But if you haven't got a grand a month to spend on ads, you're kind of pissing into the wind. And that's not to say. If you're a plumber in Shrewsbury only looking to work in Shrewsbury and you want to spend five five quid a day on Facebook ads, it'll work. That That is not the, mm-hmm. the picture you've mm-hmm. just painted. But if you're looking to work on a national scale, get leads into your database and have a, scale, a profitable, scalable and predictable business, you've got to think about how serious you are about that spend. Now, the other way of looking at it is we'll often talk to people about turnover. What turn, what's your turnover prediction or what's your... Not even what's your turnover prediction. What what turnover does your accountant say you're going to do this year based on the growth of the last three years? Accountant says I'm going to do 300 grand. Right, okay. What margins are you working with? Well, we actually have a 67% gross profit margin in our business. Okay, what about your net profit? 
well, we've actually got a 50% net profit in our business. Okay, that's very good. How much of that net profit would you be willing to lose in order to scale this business more quickly? Oh, no one's ever asked me that before. Well, what if we... What if 20% of your total turnover, so we're reducing the net profit to 30%, uh, went into your marketing? Oh, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, but if the pie is three times as big, would you rather 30% mm-hmm. of a much bigger pie or 50% of a little pie? Oh, no one's ever put it to me like that before. That's how I should be talking to you. So let's say you've got a 300 grand business and I've just said, well, let's let's look at using 20%. That's 60 grand you're then putting into marketing, so five grand a month. It's still a modest amount in, in marketing terms. So you said like lowest of the low, like say a grand a month. That might get you a full page in the local county glossy magazine. So so that's that's what we're equating it to. It's like, do you want a, like an ad in a magazine or move the needle yeah, so with, with trackability and accountability with something like Meta Ads? Yeah, so my brother-in-law is a painter and decorator. And and that's exactly what he does, is he puts ads in the local parish magazine. And, it, you know, I think he's in the two local parishes and then, like, whatever the other local ads rag is that gets delivered. And his kind of total spend on advertising a year is two grand. And in his head, that's a week's work. So he will sacrifice a week's pay mm. to advertise. So he's basically, you know, like, let's say he works 45 weeks a year. That that's the math, but that's that's how local business kind of is. Mm. National business, regional business doesn't mm. doesn't work like that. You're talking about margins and scalability and percentages, and it's all about how big do you want the pie to be and how how much of that do you get to keep. And I think what people get caught up in is maybe they started as a local business, or maybe they started as a one one man one woman band, and they're still applying that mentality of, well, I used to get to keep everything, so why can't I keep it all now? Well, like newsflash people, the bigger your business gets, the less you get to keep. Mm-hmm. Percentage-wise, mm-hmm. the less you get to keep. So the game becomes how big can you make the pie so that your slice is worth it. And that's if you're not thinking like that, don't approach a marketing agency. It's <laughs> like a bad advert for, for Code Break. But if you're not thinking... I want to make this pie fucking massive so that my small slice is still a fair chunk of change. Direct response marketing, digital advertising isn't going to be for you because what you're actually saying is I'd like to operate like a micro business but with the benefits of a SME and that's not how it works. I wonder how many businesses are uh, sat there thinking, shit, I've got to spend like a grand a month plus. But I'd say quite a few businesses I speak to, they're, they're equating that to things like, well, vanity metrics, number of clicks, reach. Oh, yeah, important numbers, but that isn't going to put food on the table. A lot of people still want the how many likes, how many hits my website get, how many likes did that post get, all that kind of shit. That, you know, your brand awareness is great. Easy to sell to someone if they've heard of you. It, here's a brutal but, truth. If you walk into a mastermind, if you walk into a local chamber of commerce meeting, vanity metrics and not just marketing metrics is what everyone's playing the game by. So have a look at what car they drive, have a look at what watch they're wearing, have a look at 
how big they say their business is and then go on companies' house and look at how big their business mm. actually is. Mm. It's like, if, if, if you're really serious about growing a sizable business that's predictable, scalable, um, fun, you've got to get out of that vanity game. And it's hard, it is hard because you think... Like, we're all indoctrinated to think that, oh, this is how business circles work. This is the car I have to drive. These are the shoes I have to wear. These are the amount of engagement I should be getting on a Facebook post. This is how many likes, I should, how many follows I should be getting on a reel. And it's like, is that making the till ring? Is that paying your staff? Is that allowing you to reinvest in your business? Is that improving you as a person? If the answer is no, well, I need to have a pretty solid look at it because there's metri- better metrics to follow. Would you say it's also sad that some people, not saying they're the right people, but some people would make a judgment on what car you drive? You turn up in a beat-up old Suzuki Swift, you might say, well, actually, do I want to give you my money? How successful are you? I'm thinking about a financial advisor whose door was literally made up yeah. from, from parts <laughs> it of It wasn't eBay. a Suzuki Swift. <laughs> it, part of it was a Suzuki Swift. <laughs> I think the door was a Suzuki Swift. Well, and, just a swift and unfortunately he's, he was in the industry he was like right well you, you want me to trust you with my life savings going off on a tangent here my parents life savings and you haven't got a pot to piss in that's basically what you're saying uh, well now I'm thinking well for all I know he could have had three million in the bank he just chose to drive a shit car so you and I disagree on this I think it took, not not massively but we sit in different camps I I I watch some mega successful people who wear the same clothes every day and drive shit cars because they don't care. They just don't care. They're going to just do... They're going to do them and fuck everyone else. And I, it, I'd love that for the world to be like that. Sadly, it's not. And unless you're unless you've got that tunnel vision and you're willing to just shut everyone else out and clearly demonstrate that you're fucking brilliant anyway it, it, that approach might not work but I also don't think you need to go to the extreme of showing up in the nicest car in the car park well that'll do more damage if because okay. then people think they're paying for it yeah, exactly. I don't want my financial advisor to drive a Suzuki Swift I don't want them to turn up in a new Ferrari every year either yeah and that's just maybe that's not fair like some people like well, you know, what's what's the thing about in um, in Britain, if your neighbour gets a Rolls Royce, you hope it catches on fire, whereas in America, you get a Rolls Royce, your neighbour will come out and say, wow, that's amazing, well done. Well done. Yeah. And there is, um, you know, what one of our friends, they, they've traded in their Beamer and they've got a, a Porsche now. And I know, me and Emma are like, hey, well, I know how hard you work, well done. There'll be other people looking, oh, those luck, uh, lucky people. And it, it's getting the balance between impressions count and making a dick of yourself, either way. So, like, my, my dad was a tradesman when I was growing up, and he, and he worked for a firm with a group of tradesmen, and he never went to work in dirty overalls, ever. And I used to, like, as a kid, he'd be like, Dad, you come home absolutely filthy every day. Mm. Like, why do you make s- such an effort to, like, go to work tidy? Like, well, we're going to other people's houses. Mm. Like, if I can't be bothered to tidy myself up, what, what are they going to think of the job I'm going to mm. do on their windows? Oh, bloody hell. I was like, but your mates don't do that, Dad. They they rock up covered in mm. crap. You know, they look nearly as bad as they did at the end of the day. And he was like, well, that's up to them, isn't it? But th- the impression I want to make is I respect someone's property 
and I and I'd like to show up clean and tidy. And the other thing he used to say was, "How can I respect myself if I can't even be bothered to mm. show up looking clean and tidy?" And and like you know, we never had a fancy car or, uh, but it wasn't. But I don't think he would have ever gone anywhere, and people thought, "Who's this loser?" Like, so I mean, we we know that we've lost business because we don't do the whole shirt and shit flickers thing. We don't play golf and probably wear the right clothes. We we like, you know, I'm not going to be like a shoot as old as teenager, but we wear Stay Hungry hoodies a lot of the time. We wear trainers. Um, and generally in the marketing industry, that's still probably in the minority. Locally. But different in different places, for sure. Like... Um, it's weird. It's generational, isn't it? Because I, like, probably the generation beneath me I could listen back to this podcast and go, "What are you talking about?" But we we're very much in a world where, right now, there are still you've got to be in this clique to win this work, and and, and it's impressions, which, which is sort of like you know we said we saw about vanity metrics. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like, if your organic marketing's good, your ads are going to work better. You know, everything needs to work together. They're not the be-all and end-all. Yeah. But some people, you know, like we know, some people will go check out a business's Instagram account, say, oh, they've got 50 followers, oh, they must be shit, and they'll go elsewhere. And, and you haven't done anything wrong. You could be an awesome business. You just maybe don't focus on Instagram. And that's why there's a temptation to be fucking everywhere. Yeah. To be doing Pinterest, to be on threads, to be bloody tweeting or Xing or whatever, to have Facebook ads, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, Pinterest ads. And you've got to dial down a bit. Mm. Which is which is which is scary. Um so I mean we talked about obviously um getting people on board, that that's one thing, knowing how long they're gonna stick with you. But for some to stick with you, you've got to be able to retain their business and ideally get referrals off them as well. So what kind of stuff would you recommend people did to retain customers because I, I would say a lot of companies they work very hard at getting customers but generally speaking once they're in they don't look after them that even hard. the big boys oh yeah. my car you know yeah. I spend quite a bit of money on my car well I'm when, in the when, same boat right now right no one's contacted me about my car when do I hear off them yeah. One, once a year maybe and generally speaking it's just to see if I want the, to spend even more the easy one that I reckon at least half the listeners have been through is Sky TV they are incredible at acquiring customers. They will get you on a deal one way or another. And then all they do is just keep cranking your price until you complain. Their the retention is mm. shocking. And but we all moan about it. But I think we all fall into the trap of making the same mistakes with our own businesses that all of our current not code break, but let's just broad brush all of our current clients are seeing us do offers and experiences for new prospects. But what about the people you've already got? When do they get sent a voucher or a phone call or, you know, and some companies are good at it, but they're few and far between. Like, I, I like to think that we have a lot of touch points with our clients and, and they get made to feel special and, you know, the odd thing shows up in the post they're not expecting and stuff like that. We could be better. But for the size of our business, I'd like to think we're I think you're doing all right. But, but but some of it isn't even isn't even make is that isn't even about making a client feel valued. It's about simple things like me and you have a thing about bloody barbers and hairdressers. You go and get your hair cut, you pay your bill, and none of them say, "Oh, should we book in your next appointment?" So my massage therapist Sophie, I see her every fortnight. Every time she's done a massage, 
pay my bill. She gets a diary out and goes, let's book in the next one, shall we? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's, it's such a fucking easy way to help your cash flow. Why would you let someone come into your business and then not get them booked in for their next appointment? It, I mean, if you're in that line of work, it, it drives me mad with barbers. It drives it drives me mad. None of them. So I've been. I mean, well, one started out. doing it after we told him to do it about a hundred times, and he's flying now. I'm not saying it's just because of that, but yeah, and his pricing is reflect. Well, <laughs> probably average now, but it felt it felt expensive. Um, but yeah, that whole like, there's a great book called Retention Point actually mm. that talks talks about all of this, but. At what point might the customer think about going elsewhere? Now, if you're a barber, it is literally at the point of payment. So they've just had their hair cut. Maybe you've looked after them, given them a coffee or something. But that moment that you ask them for money at the end is where they're like, Ugh. where it, so you need to overcome that quite quickly and get them booked in for the next one. Because otherwise, they're just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to go to the most convenient one at the time. And it's what we're doing. We must have gone to every barbers and choose me now. Yeah, well, I'm a fucking nightmare. It's like, I wish my hair didn't grow because it's just another thing that I have to do. I don't particularly enjoy the experience of getting get my hair. Get some clippers. Get my, well, I've got clippers, but I get, I get told off for... Go stone cold again. Yeah, I get told off for that. Um, and I am not in charge at home, and I'm quite happy to admit that. So, um, yeah, so you've got to get people ideally before they get to that point of discomfort where they're ready to renew or they're ready to stay and there's various tactics if you're a service-based business it's always about talking about extending the relationship oh well you know our relationship is due to get reviewed on the 13th of march how about rather than us wait until then this is going really well let's extend now and we'll work with you to the 13th of march next year would you like to log that in? Oh, yes, please. Okay. I'll just send you a form that you need to sign and that'll be locked in. Simple as that. Keep taking payments. No one is doing that, apart from big boys who do it in a dark arts way of like, oh, you've by reading this email, you've accepted our terms and conditions and you're now locked in for the rest of your life. Well, that is not the way to do it. The way to do it is transparently and openly and make people feel part of something. Um, football clubs, I think are quite bad at this. So I'm a Shrewsbury Town season ticket holder. The worst time to ask someone to renew their season ticket is when the team aren't doing well. Which but is a lot of the times. It is, is Shrewsbury, yeah. But roughly it's always March time that they ask for season ticket renewals because the season starts again in August. Problem with Shrewsbury, last five years we've been in a relegation battle. So come March time, Everyone's going, is this an expense I need? Well, at what point is someone, some bright spark at Shrewsbury going to go, Joel Stone's been a season ticket holder for nine years now. Why don't we offer him a five-year season ticket or a 10-year season ticket, lock him in Mm -hmm. on a payment plan? Because he clearly loves coming to the football, rain or shine. And we're actually taking a risk by leaving it to March every year. And and I, I I cannot get my head around that. I can't understand why you wouldn't look. At, and, and barbers are the same. It's like, and I think we have suggested this to a barber before. If it's 30 quid a haircut, which I think appears to be the going Fuck rate yeah. now, and the average bloke needs 12 trims a year, let's say, 
maybe 14, I don't know. 52 is a common trend now. Loads of people I know weekly. skin fades are getting weekly haircuts. People got too much money then. I know. Um, but sell it in bulk. Sell it Sell it as gifts, like gift vouchers. Sell it like, yeah, get 12 cuts for the price of 10. They're locked into you then. And, and your retention's improved. And what then happens is it's basically a strategy for maximising client value. So, so when people sit with us in that initial meeting, it isn't just about how low can we get your cost per lead or how many leads can we get you for your marketing budget. It's also, if you're telling me your lifetime value of a client is two grand, what can we do to make it three? And I don't think people look at it like that. No, I had an exact debate with a, a lady in a, in a forum who runs um, a dog grooming business and she's about cash flow and stuff. And I said exactly the same. Like, well, so how often do people bring their dogs in? It's like once a month, say. It's like, well, offer, offer them a deal. Yeah. For, for, if they come once a month, get that locked in, like bloody eight months of the price of 12, whatever it might be. Get that cash in. Why you wouldn't have a bronze, oh, silver, gold? Yeah. Oh, I can't do that. For oh, the that, year, for yeah. that. Why can't you do that? Oh, well, no. I mean, no one would do that in our industry. Well, be the fucking first, then. You know, my, my, you know, I... Worst thing to say is no. I only recently went private on dental in the last 18 months. And and just through naivety, really. I'd never done it. Always gone to an NHS dentist. I was like, this NHS dentistry's costing me a lot now. And uh, I went in and they were like, oh, well, you could, there's two ways of going about it. You can pay as you play. Basically, they didn't say that, but that's mm. what they meant. Or you can go on our plan. And if you're on the plan, you get 20% off any major treatments that you need as well. So, well, what does the plan cost? And they were like, £17 a month. I was like, well, fucking hell, it cost me 200 quid last time I went to see the NHS dentist. So, 17 quid a month. Yeah, yeah. no-brainer. Yeah. Locked in, though. And, and when I go in, they treat me really nice. Near near enough, you know, they might as well give me a He-Man sticker. That's where we're at. You know, like, it's a really... It's a very different experience. And I just cannot understand between experience, renewal, and extending the value the perceived value why businesses aren't maybe it's a british thing to do with money like say that awkwardness that a barber might feel when it comes to the payment times and i think most business well a lot of businesses could always give two options when it comes to pricing mm. and like say whether it's paying up front whether it's bloody split pay whether it's clan or whatever it might be and putting people in choice is a good thing rather than just saying this is how I charge, and this is the one way. And I understand, you know, it's nice to have someone paying every month. You know, it's good to have people paying different ways, I think. But if cash flow is tight, to offer people the choice. So that dog groomer, if you say, well, you can, yeah, you know, pay for your visits, or you come here every month, why not pay for a year up front and blah, 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 blah. Again, the worst that they could do is say, no, I'll stick with, stick with what I got. But if you don't ask a question, if you don't say, would you like fries with that? you're never going to solve your problems. Mm. I think sometimes it's not about clever marketing strategies. It's just some of those basics. Business sense. I think somewhere along the way, there were was, was some things we've implemented in our business recently that we used to do 15 years ago. But I think somewhere along the way, social media comes, TikTok comes, hacks. videos come. Hacks. hacks. All this stuff. Are, and, and you forget about the simple things that worked well and have probably always yeah, worked well. Like our business we should be able to and I'm not saying that we've got this nailed ourselves but we're pretty good pull up a list of all of our clients know what each client's worth to us across their perceived lifetime know what the average is across that 
know how much it cost us to acquire each of those clients and know how we acquired those clients because then we know where to where to put our focus moving forward and you and I have a pretty good handle on that as we should I would say one in ten businesses that I meet have that basic handle on their business well I mean no one wants to waste money but you can't say well I want to I want to be a millionaire in a year's time and I've got 300 quid a month to spend on on ads on marketing just the maths doesn't compute especially if you want to scale your business like you can accomplish a lot by just fucking hard work and hustling that's how we launched our business that's how a lot of people launch their business they've got no money they've got no choice they've got to be out there pounding the pavements fucking hell knocking on doors 100 phone calls a day working evenings weekends you do what it takes but you can't do that forever there's a price of doing business yeah and that's a good way of looking at it and I the cost of doing business. Yeah, and I completely sympathise with the hustlers because we mm. were, and to an extent still are, hustlers. But don't make the mistake that when you want to transition into a scalable business that you think you can hustle the way there. Now, there are, there'll be people on YouTube that can say, oh, you can hustle your way to a million, don't worry about it until you hit seven figures. You can. You'll be miserable. Mm. Uh, uh, for me, it's the 100K mark. I, I know that when I hit six figures as a business before we merged, that I was at my limit. That, that until I, Unless I got systems and processes and got on top of my numbers, mm-hmm. it, it was starting to hurt. And it didn't matter how many staff I got to help, it just it just hurt. That, like it was, I was having to go to the opening of an envelope to make it pay. And I didn't want to do that anymore. And that's why you need to understand your metrics and understand your direction and and be realistic as well. Like uh, something I did the other day uh, when I was talking to a client was, if we scale you to this point, your marketing efficiency ratio, so marketing spend versus turnover, will be this. When you scale to this point, your marketing efficiency ratio will have reduced because the bigger you get, the worse your marketing efficiency ratio in general. And I was like, are you okay with that? And we just did it and did it and did it until it made no more sense mathematically to continue to scale without a dramatic mm-hmm. change to the business. So so then that, that client, that, well, that prospect could see, right, once I get to about two and a half million turnover, that's the point where I need to either sell the business because I'm not going to mm-hmm. be able to grow it anymore using the methods discuss or fundamentally change the business. And that's the kind of points you have. You have that... You have the hundred k point where it goes from being your hustle, and it doesn't. One way or another, you're going to bring money in. Mm-hmm. Then you have the kind of five hundred k point where you need other people to help you do it, and you need other people to generate revenue in your business. And then the same happens again at a million, and then you'll see it again at two and a half million. And then after that, to be quite frank, I'm not in a position to mm-hmm. to be an expert on that. I've helped other businesses get bigger than that, but that's when you're getting into the realms of like multiple directors and teams and it's a very different yeah yeah so so what are some of the uh, key takeaways from this one what are the actionable steps that's better what can people walk do? walk away now and find out what your lifetime value of a customer is and sim- simple maths it's average value of a sale how many sales in a year how many years they remain a customer now, appreciate if you sell thousands of widgets a year to someone, it's harder, but that, that's what you're trying to get to. From there, you should also 
take your target turnover for the year, be that whether that's your, the target in your head or the one you've agreed with your accountant, and have, have a look at how much percentage margin you're willing to give away to spend on marketing. Okay. And then you can, from there, reverse back and have a look at how many leads you're going to need, how many inquiries you're going to need, how many sales you need to make. And if you're being realistic with yourself, if you want to go into more depth on that, I mean, I'm running a webinar soon on that. We've got a free training you can have if if you get in touch. And that's got the spreadsheet on, right, as well? The yeah, training, yeah. It? So we can, we can provide that and you can go into much more depth on this without having to try and figure out it all out by furiously writing notes listening to the podcast. Um, but yeah, the, the key takeaway is get on top of your metrics because if you are in that position now where you're like, yeah, I'm above 100K, I'm ready to scale or I'm above 250K and I'm ready to really go for it or million and I want two million if you're not really on top of your metrics it's just never mm-hmm. going to happen and, and it will bite you in the ass at some point <laughs> speaking from experience and, and that's that's also important not just to focus on top of funnel isn't it yeah. um, you know look after your customers if you're in the you know if you're in a business that people are with you for 12 months at a time if the only time you speak to your customers is when they're up for renewal so you only speak to them every 12 months you're definitely leaving money on the table. Mm. Um, having, you know, those open lines of communication, delivering like a six-star customer service is going to just, is going to make their lifetime value longer. Yeah. Bigger. Oh, a brilliant example, just before we wrap up, that I thought of that I've never experienced, but I've seen someone coach someone else to do this, is DJs. Now, that might sound bizarre because you only hire a DJ when you've got an occasion, right? But if you get hired as a DJ for someone's wedding, chances are they end up following you on social media, you end up following them on social media. You've then got insight into when there's a christening coming up, when there's birthdays coming up, anniversaries coming up. Okay. You've suddenly taken the lifetime value of a customer from, let's say, a grand to potentially 10 grand in the next five mm. years just by keep keeping tabs and then what what do you do well you send them an anniversary card every year because you know when their wedding was because you were the dj you send them congratulations on your firstborn congratulations on your second born happy birthday cards you you embed yourselves in their life and there's an example of what is quite a transactional one-off transaction business suddenly becoming a multi-transaction high lifetime value business and if, if, if a business like that can do it, any business can. Because not all marketing can be one-to-many, unless you're a massive, massive business. Sometimes that one-to-one, that, that work, that marketing work that requires a little bit of thought and a little bit of effort, that's where a lot of the gold is as well. Yeah. Excellent. So if people want to know more about understanding the value of a customer, what do they do? Visit cobrate.co.uk, drop us an inquiry. You'll be able to jump on a free consultation call with myself or Andy. We're more than happy to bring up that spreadsheet and go through the numbers with you if that's what you want. Yeah, that'll be Joel, not me. All right, take care.